When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're here. So I, my name is Andy Battaglia and I'm, uh, I've been involved with Unsound in various ways since first going to the festival in 2009, um, as a journalist and writing about it. And then, um, then starting the next year, kind of helping out to organize Unsound in New York and then do a bunch of talks at, at the mothership Unsound in Krakow and then in New York and then elsewhere. And, Toronto and uh, the one thing in Iceland, other places around the world. And oh, like, you, you came here for that. I did indeed. Yeah. I didn't know we, that. Which we, we can talk about. Um, hung out at your house with, um, with Brian, you know, Oh, that's right. Drank a bunch of wine. That's uh, right. Which was a memorable night. Um, but yeah. And it's like to be here with Ben Frost and Tim Hecker, who are both sort of on the long list of, of like many artists who have developed like really close sort of deep relationships with Unsound there at the, at the, the top of the top, um, having performed like starting more than a decade ago. So we can talk about some of that and, um, you know, all of that in the past year. And then, um, you know, to start, uh, just for people listening in, like where, so like, where are you guys presently on, the planet and like what are what are you seeing and hearing around you right now in the present moment um i'm in montreal right now and i've been here full time for like a year and a half and i've traveled i've been lucky to travel a bit last summer i managed to sneak away to europe and see a few friends but that feels like a distant memory now we're in like their fourth lockdown and it's a police state after um, 8 p.m. You can't leave the house. I've been lucky because I have a, an exception uh, written by the government because I'm working on a film project so I can go to my studio. But it's, you know, it's a real Montreal's not uh, what it used to be, you know, for sure. Um, it's a really bizarre time. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't want like other, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's been, uh, I don't know, on some level, happy to be here. You know, it's like this past year, you know, forces you to remember what matters, which is, you know, friends, family, you know, your, your mental health and physical well-being and nothing else really matters, you know, because our journey in this world is like really fragile and it's, you know, yeah, I don't know, reflecting on stuff like that a lot. Big time. How about you, Ben? 
Uh, yeah, I'm in I'm in Reykjavik in Iceland. Um, have been here pretty much the whole time, save for um, yeah, a couple of a couple of small uh, kind of exits from the island um, last year. But essentially, I've been here the whole time. So it's yeah, just the same as everywhere else. Um, you know, sort of cabin fever is well and truly set in. Um, I mean, Iceland's had it pretty easy by comparison to the rest of Europe, um, the rest of the world, honestly, maybe with the exception of New Zealand and Australia. It's probably been the, the easiest um, kind of COVID situation. Yeah. Um, that said, I feel like the the, the kind of the, the fallout um psychologically is 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 only just starting to kind of really reveal itself here um so yeah it it's pretty real uh, and i think you know like like most places in the world it, it really it feels um increasingly difficult when you sort of see these whispers of the the rest of the world kind of starting to open up and you know we're sort of here on this this rock in the middle of the ocean, still under under you know quarantine restrictions, and it, it sort of feels like like I think pe- people's patience is sort of running out. Mine certainly is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how about so like yeah, I want to talk about like obviously the past year and stuff, but maybe at the start we can talk about uh, just a little bit about like both of your offerings to the um the unsound intermission album which you know as listeners hopefully know by now features um you know 15 tracks commissioned um by unsound from artists who have been involved in the with the festival in different ways um and you know is also accompanied by a book of essays created kind of in the same vein and um Tim, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about your the track that that you contributed and how it it came to be? Um, I've been working on a, a scoring project, and I had this piece that wasn't really used, and it was just kind of in its infancy. And I loved a certain aspect of one of the parts of it, so like I sent it to Matt, and we just you know he came up with the idea of like you know working with these vocalists and we had a lot of back and forth and, you know, different takes and stuff and just, you know, wrote a piece effectively together uh, through that quite quickly and online, like everything else. And, you know, I love it. It's, it's, it's a nice um, offering to the world. It's also like a weird compilation. Like I haven't done those since I kind of started out doing music where it's like less and less frequent to take part in compilations. It feels like a quaint, mode of but it's also one of the best you know in some ways um yeah when it's good it's the best and when it's bad it's the worst you know because often artists just you know give their their c-tier rejects that don't fit on their albums or singles and um you know this felt like it was like a lot of people bringing their like best you know foot forward or something and if you know i don't know yeah yeah, and that, that those um, those vocalists are from from the Polish, kind of like sort of weird folk 
band um, Shauzet, which um, means moon in Polish. And they actually played, uh, I think it was two years ago for, it was like an Unsound New York presentation in a church. And it was like one of the most amazing <laughs> shows I've ever seen. Did you know their music before like Matt put that together? No, but I researched them and they're quite interesting and expressive and um, yeah, definitely special. Yeah, absolutely. They, in the church, um, I remember they had these like huge, these large um, like spherical balloons that they at one point were just like floating all around the room. Um, and then these like glowing orbs that they like had the audience like passing from like hand to hand. It was, it was like totally otherworldly. Um, yeah. And for anyone who doesn't know that band, it's definitely worth uh, seeking out. Um, ben, how about yours? Yours, so yours is an excerpt of a, a like of a longer work made in in collaboration with other people. Um, can you tell us a bit about your your track? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been I've been working for like a number of years with um, the Irish photographer and visual artist Richard Moss. Um, that's a collaboration going on. Uh, 10 years now, we've worked on a, a couple of pieces together um, and the cinematographer Trevor Tweeten. Uh, and we started work sort of pre-COVID, the summer before COVID, we, we started spending quite a bit of time in Brazil, in the Brazilian rainforest, um, sort of drawing our focus to the sort of sharp escalation of environmental crimes that are occurring under the Bolsonaro government. Um, so we sort of started traveling through the Amazon, starting to get a, yeah, just documenting um, kind of various aspects of that. Uh, it's a really broad and very sort of um, obtuse kind of set of uh, circumstances that, that are sort of leading to the, the overall destruction of the of the rainforest. Um, my role in that, obviously, was was sound, um, and uh, and and I sort of was looking for like Richard, Richard and Trevor, sort of shooting a lot of the material, most of the material, using a a form of uh, uh, what, what would you call it, like a, a sort of a a uh, outer spectrum, um, infrared and ultraviolet uh, film stocks, which are basically able to detect uh, spectrums of light which fall outside of that which we can perceive um, with our eyes, which is a really kind of interesting analog for a metaphor for the the kind of the. the the destruction that's happening down happening down there because it is largely kind of unseen and weirdly sort of hidden from view. Um, you'll often sort of be driving down these these long highways, through, carving through the jungle, and it's wall to wall trees on either side. I mean, the jungle is so thick. You know, you you step a meter off the road and you literally can't move further without the aid of a machete. It's a it's just this wall of jungle. But then if you actually progress beyond that often you'll find within a very short space of time five minute walk from the road you'll enter these kind of uh 
you know, sort of apocalypse scapes of, of just vast, vast burnt areas um, that are sort of being, uh, yeah, being stripped of the forest in order to, to turn them into to farmland. Ben, are they They're doing sort of, what, they, what they did in BC when I grew up in the 90s is to make these like scenic corridors. So they make like 100 meters along exactly. the road. You feel like you're driving through this old growth forest, but you're basically in this kind of um, uh, potential corridor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, where it's just a hellscape beyond that. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like, it's like, it's like pristine rainforests, like in this corridor around the road, and then everything else is soybeans, um, as far as the eye can see. Um, So yeah, I was kind of looking for a way to, uh, to kind of get to that idea in a, in a sort of sonic way. Um, So I I started researching, I actually ended up recording a a lot of stuff down there using um, an ultrasonic microphone, which is basically designed for uh, biological research of insects, uh, bats, birds, whales. Um, Basically, it's a microphone that's able to uh, detect frequencies that are way above our our uh, range of hearing and then through a uh, through a computer interface it's essentially using a real-time pitch shifting um mechanism to to drop those voices down into a, a way where you can monitor them um in real time so i'm sort of walking through the jungle recording um you know recording <clears throat> through through that sort of lens of, of this sort of ultrasonic mic um, where it got really interesting was actually in the fires themselves um, the, the the fire itself actually has a whole other sort of octave of sound um, several octaves of sound in fact uh, above like lots of whistling and weird sort of pops and crackles and stuff and so yeah in a, in a roundabout way that's that's the basis for the the piece that sort of uh, yeah made its way onto onto the the compilation. Amazing, yeah. Richard Moss has um, he just opened a gallery show here in New York of those mm-hmm. of photos that I'm really psyched to go see. Um, yeah, and how like um, I, I I mean I feel like we can we can go down unsound memory lane uh, like a little bit later, but like. I'm curious if like, if you guys, so given the past year and like the weird circumstances and um, do you feel like, and I don't know if it's the kind of thing you're able to even recognize yet, or, you know, or I I don't know how much any of us is able to truly, you know, grapple with what's been going on uh, in a full screen sense, but like, have you, like, has the nature, the relationship between you and like, your work changed at all as a result of like, do you feel like the sort of sounds you're gravitating toward or interested in have been affected by, you know, the circumstances or, you know, the fact that you're not performing as much as you uh, were prior? Like, do you, have you, have you come to recognize any like changing dynamics that are interesting to you? I mean, I, I would say yes. Um, there's definitely been a, a, a market change. I would even go so far as to say that it's it's been sort of problematic for me, in the sense that I'm like 
there is a, a kind of a, you know, by, by working at home in what is essentially a very small space, uh, my, my experience has, has been um, that, you know, s small spaces bring small ideas, you know, and it, it kind of, it sort of reduces things for me in a, not in a particularly helpful way. And I'm kind of, as time is going on, I'm becoming more and more sort of conscious of the fact that a lot of the things I'm sort of leaning into are, are actually things that are very much a reflection of this environment and this, this time that I'm in right now, um, which is absolutely not where I want to be like <laughs> this time next year. So um, certainly not music. I particularly want to perform live. Um, you know, and in, and in a broader sense, it's definitely something I've, I've thought about a lot like that, you know, I'm, I, I fear for the, um, you know, I, I fear for, the, the future of, of, of techno and dance music as a result of that, you know, cause it's like sort of like this weird, there's going to be this weird sort of gap in the, in the, uh, in the record, you know, of, of, I'm, I'm curious, but also, you know, it's like people, how do you, how do you make dance music in, in this space where you're not able to, you know, um, engage with that world? It's, it's going to be fascinating. But, yeah. Do you like, do you recognize, or, or is, are there like possibilities for like refinement or sort of like, uh, or it kind of makes me think about like, you know, like crooners or like with the advent of like the microphone and like the, the way that the nature of singing changed from being like, you know, sort of a, a loud bellowing public broadcast of the voice to something that turns, you know, by dint of like the ability to do so through technology, like into something like, you know, singing became more intimate and more hushed. And like, you know, there were sort of like added tones and, and sort of whispered timbres and stuff that entered into the lexicon. Like, do you, I mean, do, can you imagine that once you are able to scale back up, like there having been, you know, positive results from this, or is that like hard to, gauge that stuff right now because we'll look back in 15 and 20 years and see the like economic and technological ways it affected music that right now it's not probably clear because we're all in this mire of isolation and confusion and kind of low-grade depression and for some people like high-grade depression and I think it's yeah that will emerge. I mean, I personally, you know, struggled with inspiration like probably anyone else. At the beginning, it was kind of fun and mysterious and bizarre and cinematic in some ways, and it slowly devolved into like some kind of, you know, hellscape at times, and sometimes better. I mean, I've been really lucky because I've had a few projects that have allowed me to survive. But you know, I worry about like my friend of house engineer, I've checked in with him a few times who, you know, his only work was playing shows primarily. He was on the road, you know, 300 days a year. And, you know, I'm really concerned about people like that, even booking agents and, you know, there's a whole industry that's gotten smashed. And I think it's like, yeah, it's just hard, you know, to envision things opening up and how that affects your music. And I, I'm trying not to be too strategic about things about like, getting a record ready for some kind of period. Like I'm not in a rush to do anything. 
And, um, you know, at the end of last year, it was like quite high velocity for me. I was playing like all over the place with a five person ensemble. It was complicated and flying all the time. And I mean, there's some upside, like I don't need to be in a plane every week or two, you know, it's like, it was crazy. I'm not a, you know, what's the Swedish word for the anti-air travel movement? I'm not quite there, but I think reducing it is positive, you know, staying more grounded in your home, your community and your family. Um, for me personally, um, yeah, I don't, I do not know. It's, like, it's a tough one. And I think music is evolving and that's like, you know, not to, I'm not going to talk about NFTs and shit like that, but I feel that there's a rupture that's happening right now. That's going to like, who is inspired to make a work that costs like, I don't know, 2000, 15, $20,000 to just feed into the Spotify machine, you know, or a beggar's bank, you know, beggar's deal that you get 25% for life and they own the masters. The record industry is fucked straight up. And, you know, there's going to be some changes that will hopefully, um, you know, I think be more fair towards the people that put, you know, 95% of their, you know, creative labor into making works. And um, that's just kind of, you can see what's happening, but it's slow motion. And, you know, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there's like, like even, even beyond that, I think that there's a really interesting kind of, uh, there's a, a kind of a rupture anthropologically in the way that these kind of, these environments that we're all in right now, literally, um, you know, you're in your office or something, Andy, I'm, you know, I'm here in ground floor of my house in the spare room, you know, it's, it's, it's like, we're, we're in these kind of, you know, hermetic kind of, uh, you know, several square meters of space. Uh, you know, that with, like one thing I, I think about a lot is, is the way, language is kind of developed as a result of space. Um, I think that Icelandic is a really good example of a language that has developed as a result of confined spaces, for example. You know, it is a, it's a, it's a language, it's not a shouting language, it's not loud. It's kind of the opposite of Australian English in that way. Um, you know, whereas Australian English is very sort of, has this sort of chiseled, um, kind of insanity about it where it, it 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 works to be broadcast across wide space and i think the same is true of american english um and 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 you know canadian english even i think icelandic is is a it's a it's a whispered language it's all in the front of your mouth we're slightly um, more quiet than americans which need to like <laughs> you know generally i mean Right, it's colder. No, we, so have, we have yeah. a lot of important shit to say over here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Especially to, to, everyone, to everyone, Andy. To everyone. <laughs> Indeed. Um, yeah. That's funny you say but, that about Icelandic, though, because like, um, to the extent that I have ever been able to even begin to pronounce an Icelandic word, like it, it may, it, I, I feel like I had a like revelation once when... Um, you know, because they're all like like seven syllables long, and it, I, like I realized that to say the word it was like it basically like required saying all of the syllables simultaneously rather than like as a succession of syllables. If that makes sense, like it's kind of just like because I was trying to like break the word down 
mm. and put it into a sequence. And then it was mm-hmm. like, but then it was like, no, you actually just have to say them all at once. And like, that's right. that sort of, that front of the mouth. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But I think that, but I think this thing of like, like the way that that, that kind of like the, the, the enclosed space is kind of actually physically affected the, 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 the language itself. I, you know, I, I suspect that there's probably, you know, and, and going back to your kind of comment about the, the crooners and the, 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 the development of microphone technology, I think that a similar thing is probably happening now, you know, we, it's going to take a while to see it, but I, I can totally imagine that that's, that's what's happening. It's kind of the, the by closing the walls in around music. Um, and, and so would you like, guess that that would involve more reverberant or less reverberant music like generally yeah, things are going towards like a laboratory style anechoic type of pop like right like mm. the kind of washed out nature of the 80s with like the lexicon and eventide you know tails on everything is yeah but they like but then far. they but then they chiseled them off as well it's like just just railing lines of cocaine and how that all kind of like lined up with, you know, the gated reverb of, of the eighties. It is really like, like this con- kind of compartmentalization of space. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, gated like, is co- yeah. I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to be weird to kind of see how it goes. I think it's quite telling right now that, you know, I mean, what was it like Mogwai got like a number one record, you know? It's not like they've reinvented their wheel. They're still doing exactly what they've been doing for the last 20 years. But all of a sudden, you know, they have a, a massive audience that has kind of opened up to them. Um, and, you know, that, that, that has to kind of speak to a, a shift in people's listening habits. And therefore, you know, I have to believe that that's going to have an effect on, like, the kind of music people are making as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Andy, turn on you, like, what do you think about music writing? Like, I, I don't find myself reading much music criticism right now. And is that like a reflection of me personally? Or is that a reflection of the, like, writing scape in general? It's like, um, and platforms and things like that. And they're like, you know, all the, poly- you know, issues related to ownership and things like that. Yeah, I mean... I mean, that's a tough one. I, I mean, there's not, it's no secret to anyone that, you know, there are fewer and fewer places for people to even begin to write about music, like much less to write interestingly about it. Um, and I think, I don't know, it, like for me, I feel a little bit distanced from that question only because like, so yeah, I mean, I work at an art magazine now and like, um, you know, I'm a little bit more, I mean, I still write about music and sound and it's obviously like one of my main interests, but like, it's not, it's been a long time since I was like pitching like music reviews or, or essays expressly about just, just music. Um, so thankfully I haven't had, I mean, it's not like the art journalism landscape is like some fertile, you know, uh, amazing ground uh, by comparison but it's like a it's a, a, a at least a little bit healthier but there um, must be some um like coalition of writers that exists outside the kind of middle-aged wire uk kind of world you know um surely i mean i just don't <laughs> know of it um, yeah and you know i 
Well, I always wonder, um, you know, or just for like young, like aspiring, emerging, you know, music writers, you know, if, if in fact there are people who still aspire to, uh, to such a station in life, um, I'm just really curious because I like where, you know, where they would uh, begin or, you know, cause like it's when like I, a great time to organize and start new platforms, you know, it, and they probably already exist and I'm just like not looking for them, but you know, yeah, no, definitely. It seems like, I mean, I, I would imagine in this, you know, like akin to the way that you spoke about like there being like a reordering or a reshuffling of like the, the music business, the record industry, like, you know, that, you know, I mean, the media landscape is going through similar kinds of things um, with like no small amount of uncertainty, you know, attending all of those questions. Um, are you, Tim, are you at liberty to talk about the scoring project that you're working on presently? Uh, yeah, I think it's fine. I mean, I worked the last year on two projects. One was a small, like crazy Austrian art house film, um, but one was a uh, pretty massive five hour long uh, BBC film epic that stars um, that's directed by Andrew Haig and has um, yeah it's quite a you know quite intense project and I worked on it for about a year um, and it was my you know my my kind of um, <laughs> I don't know, leprechaun at the end of the rainbow of COVID that like allowed me to have some order and you know resources luckily to like survive this um period and yeah it was a real immense learning experience on so many levels to like get a skill set that i think ben probably knows quite well and and i don't know it's yeah it's i i think it will probably come out in the fall it's called the north water and um yeah it's a five-part it's like essentially a five-hour film divided into five episodes, miniseries type of thing. Very cool. Um, yeah, and Ben, I mean, so, because, I mean, you've you've worked increasingly in sort of different kinds of areas, like including scoring and, um, you know, I, I'm curious, like, in addition to, you know, making Ben Frost music and, like, you know, via records and, like, performing um by yourself like how do you like how have you come to um consider like those those other ways of working as like part of like your greater whole like are they are they sort of separate do you have separate working methods and like ideas that you course through in those kinds of projects or are they you know is there a consistent through line through everything you're working on in different mm. contexts um yeah, it's a, it's it's a good question. Uh, I mean, it is. You know, wor working working with a with a, a kind of a working with film in particular is a is a very uh, it's a it's a it's a dangerous game to play, like in terms of um keeping keeping a sense of you know vision about what it is i'm trying to do and where it is i'm trying to go following my kind of instincts um because 
you know, in the in the in the best scenario, the, what you want from a film is that you essentially get to collaborate with somebody who allows you to do literally whatever it is that you want to do, and finds a way to kind of fold that energy that you have into their thing. You know, so it and 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 the the collaboration is fruitful on the basis that you know you you basically just smash these things together and 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 it kind of it's greater than the sum of its its parts but um invariably that's the you know that is the the one percent of situations um and the rest is a kind of nightmare escape of um yeah soul crushing um kind of yeah slave labor um <laughs> which what about the, I, I i talk about the death the dangerous game because it's like you know i can see yeah. easily losing your kind of independent artistic uh mojo has seen happen so many times you know where exactly exactly and you know it's definitely something that i've kind of i feel like in the last couple of years like sort of pre-covid um you know, I definitely sort of touched the void in that in that sort of scenario, um, and have been struggling to kind of come back from it, honestly. Um, where this this space of writing writing music with a sort of set functionality in mind uh, makes writing music at once easier. But it also it doubles down how hard it is to write music for its own sake um, afterwards. So it's like, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm sure there's a good drug analogy in there somewhere. It really feels like kind of, you know, like trying to get off something, um, kind of coming out the other end of that. And you know, and honestly, the last the last year for me has been just kind of coming to terms with that recognizing that that's what's happened and trying to kind of carve a carve a way out of it but at the same time also being hamstringed by the kind of the circumstances um wherein i can't just you know as i've done with all my previous kind of records go out and try shit on the road and and you know use the you know like, I mean, at, the, at some point touring a record for me, like the, there comes a point where the sound check literally takes 15 minutes, but I, I always budget in three hours for it. And so, you know, in the, in the best circumstances, I'll have a couple of hours with, you know, with a stage and, and uh, where I can work at volume and play around with things and really kind of just use that sort of laboratory of, of the touring kind of machine to, kind of work things out for myself also um, like but concerts that, are, are like that you know like yeah the feedback absolutely. from uh, a body of people you can tell energetically uh where work has vibrance mm -hmm. and connection and work that doesn't you, you can feel it almost coming back from uh the stage and yeah that helps going back and writing music you know you totally. don't get scared of, for sure and so that was that for me was always like very much at odds with the kind of the film music paradigm, which is, you know, me alone in a room staring at a screen. 
And so to kind of not have, you know, the, the cycles kind of broken in there to go directly from one into the other, but for the environment to remain the same, for the circumstances to be unchanged, it really is a fucking exercise in, uh, you know, um, sort of personality transplant to kind of, to kind of get there and, you know, trying to, I don't know. I mean, Tim, I, I know you and I talked about this a bit, this kind of like finding these ways to kind of like separate those things, you know? Um, I remember you mentioned at some point a couple of months ago, you were talking about how like, you know, you were like dividing your week up into like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays, you know, film and then Thursday, whatever. I don't remember how it was. Yeah, I'm really not a multitasker. You know, I can't have like three artistic or creative projects on the go at the same time. It literally spins me out because I just go hamster down the the burrow 100% into something and I can't really let go until it's somewhere good, but I can't really shelve it half-baked. And um, I feel like the best works are kind of immediate and quick and happen within a period of time. But these long going um like a scoring project that starts as a creative engagement in an ideal sense like you're saying with the director devolves into this technical kind of exercise of like cutting bass on a cello or like fade-ins to like match picture and it becomes like the creativity dies and then you don't get that vessel uh in the same way and it's seems like yeah like a k-hole that maybe is difficult to come back from mm. and yeah i i mean struggle with i also feel that every time i personally write a record it's like a it's like an existential shadow boxing or dread match you know that it doesn't that is always difficult and i think just having these pauses where you didn't do that for a long period of time it's always difficult to like start again and get really honed into something um and yeah but also just that thing of like re- like i don't know like but like recognizing that like what you do for the first like when you when you make that decision to like okay now i'm gonna write music you know i'm gonna write new record it's like you you kind of go into that realizing that you're gonna spend the next half a year hating absolutely everything you do and it's like you need to sort of like write your way out of it somehow. There's there's no there's no way to circumvent it, you know. <laughs> um, I'm I'm curious, like given the context, to just to like or I mean, there's so much to. It's insane to think back on like sort of the unsound sort of memory bank. But um, I'm curious if like if you guys if there's like one. What's like, what's your craziest unsound memory or if not crazy, at least like most resonant or like what, what rises to mind most immediately when you think back on, um, cause I, I, I was trying to tally up the number of times that both of you have performed and I, I couldn't even, I had to give up counting at a certain point. I've had lots of shows there. I've done, uh, you know, a pipe organ one, I think just after rave death, I think that got me banned. Um, or I think that was the show I did with Dan Lopatin, One O Tricks. That was, um, I think we got excommunicated from that church because of the volume. I mean, there was like, you know, so much kind of 
to think about in the history, like Matt and Gosh are incredibly generous and crazy and creative people, you know, in the way they construct their festival. And it's always felt special. Like there's the time I filled this factory with smoke that just you think in like health and fire regulations just would not fly in any other um, country or place. It was crazy. <laughs> you couldn't see more than like one foot in front of you. Um, I don't know what else they did like a trumpet and a tower. I mean, there's been, you know, it's a really vibrant place. Um, uh, and yeah, for, for many years, I was happy to go there in October. Yeah. Ben, you have a history with that same church, the St. Catherine's church, which was like a 16th century uh, church in, in Krakow. I remember that, that was actually the, so the, the first year I ever went was 2009, but I think I remember that year you performed as part of the whale watching tour with uh, Nico Muley and, and Sam. Yeah, yeah. But the year before you performed in that church, right? Yeah, I think so. It was somewhere in there, 2007, 2008. Yeah, I got banned for that too. But yeah, it's kind of... Uh, There's a lot of excommunication going on. Yeah, I think it was a good sign. <laughs> yeah and i remember yeah. ben i remember the first time i ever met you um uh it was in well in 2010 i went back and did like my first panel talk ever in krakow and it was you were on it and it was in lust Mord and um in Xenial also and i remember matt schultz the you know the the director of of unsound he like was like he was scaring the shit out of me because he well, Les Mord hadn't performed publicly in many, I think 30 years or something, save for for like one show he had done for the Church of Satan. And and I remember Matt just like telling me he that Les Mord was gonna eat me alive on stage and like, you know, chew me up and spit me out. And he, of course, like Brian Lusmord, like turned out to be like the sweetest guy who became a friend over the years but you were on that panel too and i remember it was like a little tea uh tea shop in cashmere um crazy um <laughs> any other like uh unsound what about toronto that's that was another thing i was thinking so the un, when unsound toronto i remember tim's i remember tim's tim's show really well there that was that was fucking crazy um there and that there was, was two, right, Sam? Because like, the what, ephemera one or the the one on the main stage? The the ephemera one, yeah, the one where you literally couldn't see. Yeah, we had like yeah. perfume dispensers. I can't remember if we put the the drone perfume that we made <laughs> into the into the foggers, but you know, it was the, it was that scent, yeah. For the, sure. the backline for that type of show is like <laughs> three times what a stadium you know, rock um, or stadium type of show would use, but we've got these industrial foggers that were made for, you know, stadiums and just turned them on like from every angle. And, you know, it's kind of the end point of like how dense you can make, you know, negate the field of vision or make it about sound by just making the inability to see um, a kind of part of it, you know, the other option is, darkness of course which is also effective but that felt like a you know a happy place because it was just these uh color fields you know that were pulsing from different you know vectors of the the space and 
you know, it was really like great. It was also just removed the kind of performative center of the kind of table or the stage center, you know, where the, the maker of sound, you know, is, is doing the work and it was coming from every direction and there was no center point. And uh, for me that, you know, was felt good to like, you know, be part of and it was fun, you know, to play music in because it's just, uh, you know, a huge sound system of like really good spec that makes the music you're working on sound really in a different context. And yeah. And that, and that setting, I mean, that, uh, the setting of that building in general was like the decommissioned power plant in Toronto. That was just like one of the w- most wild structures of any kind I've ever been in. Um, how I mean, much my, my, my my favorite memory of that day actually was uh, there was a pair of peregrine falcons nesting in the top of the building, and I remember like when we were sound checking, like like sort of glancing over and watching this like falcon just like completely pulverize this pigeon, like right next to the stage, and then sort of walking across um, to kind of take a look at it, and you just see this like this bird like kind of almost like a kind of school bully kind of stance of like, like, like one foot either side of this pigeon who was like on its back and, and the, the falcon was just kind of like pinning it down. And then it sort of would like look up at you. It was like looking up at me. It was like, what? <laughs> and then it just went back to eating this thing alive. Um, and that was, yeah, that was in the middle of sound check. Um, that's yeah, when you do it loud enough right um, how much like do you are you guys even thinking about performing yet like is is the notion of like you know have you allowed your imagination to, to go there or are you still are you kind of like hedging your your bets for I can miss it so much I really yeah. miss it I don't, yeah, I'm like not there, you know, creatively. Um, I have, you know, I love traveling and happy to play shows, but I'm not like planning a rollout of a future ensemble or structure or whatever at any, like right now, I'm just trying to make music and not think instrumentally about its, you know, um, broadcast, you know, and I think, but I do miss, I do miss traveling, you know, it's like, there's something about, you know, this situation being able to go to certain cities like once a year and you, you get this kind of like, you know, in the time of like Trumpism and nationalism and, you know, anti-cosmopolitan globalism in some ways, you know, being like in some ways like a global citizen, like having friends all over the world and traveling was an incredible privilege that you see in retrospect that is, you know, it's not the same. And it's it's like a reckoning. And it's, you know, there's times I do miss that, you know. Um, but that's, you know, yeah. Yeah, it was hard this past October when I mean, when, when Unsound didn't happen, I mean, it happened online and, and, and very interestingly, but like not in Krakow, obviously. And like, it was, um, cause you know, for me, what, I mean, one of the most eye-opening things for me, like getting involved with Unsound was 
coming to recognize like how like touring musicians like you guys and like artists there was this whole world of like like what you called global citizens like people who are just like making their way around the world like literally week by week and um in ways that i think are hard to comprehend like for anyone who doesn't hasn't been exposed to that um and so it's yeah, it's hard. And, you know, it's interesting reading through the book, the, the the Unsound Intermission book, like with people just trying to, you know, reckon with the fact that they're just like not, you know, people who are like very traveled, well-traveled people, like like very much not traveling at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like a heroin addiction in a different form, you know, like also on a personal level when there's issues, you know, you just don't work because you're, you're going somewhere in a few weeks. And the benefit of this was, you know, forcing you to stay present in those issues and stay grounded in a sense of place. And, but the downside is you were addicted to going to different places every week or two as a way of like energizing yourself, but it was also a form of evasion from the self in my personal sense of things personally. Um, And that there's been fruit from that, you know, you, see you know your tendencies as a person as a friend as a partner as a father whatever and um yeah try to see the you know the flowers out of the weeds in some sense you know i mean just on a like on a, a kind of irrespective of the 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 the, the machinations of touring like the just the uh, the stage, you know, like I, I really, I mean, music for me is a very physical thing, you know, and I, I really thrive on that. And so for me, the, a lot of this last year has been <clears throat> kind of reflecting on that and yeah, and kind of, and really sort of more mourning the 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 kind of loss of it uh, in that just not being able to um yeah that 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 feeling of of the the weird smell of you know fog machines and kind of that weird combination of tube amplifiers and crackling PAs and stale beer and <clears throat> and then you know just yeah like like low frequencies so fucking massive that you know they make you go blind on certain notes you know it's like it, it, it's that that for me is music kind of goes into a sort of an ecstatic uh, bodily kind of meditation at that point and and i i realize more and more now how much i've kind of leaned into that as a not only as an artist but just as a a, a human there's there's a there's something incredibly um uh, i don't know there's a there's a certain there's a certain kind of <clears throat> self-care in it for me that yeah has kind of gone away um as a result of this this whole situation so yeah i mean i i miss it fucking every day right now and I can't wait to get back out there. Yeah. How loud are you able to get at home? I wonder I wonder what it's like to be Ben Frost's neighbor. 
it's 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 not even close to the same like it's like you know it it's not it just it doesn't you can't do it in a yeah you can't do it in a residential um it just doesn't it's not the same um yeah yeah um and just as a a, a parting question like uh cuz we've been talking for a while now but like are are you um either or both of you are you working on anything like currently that you're like excited about or that you you sort of see on the horizon that you can share i'm just like you know stringing up old lucille again and just playing music for absolutely no purpose or utility or output and just zero agenda i'm just trying dad dad jams yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe you know like some <laughs> Like, why did we do this in the first place? You know, it's like something that was like incredibly passionate about. And I'm trying not to do with any sense of, you know, I have some time now. So it's just like, you know, remember why you love this and why, you know, I don't listen to that much music right now. Like in terms of expanding my horizons, you know, I'm kind of on a, just a dial tone about that and I'm just trying to make things myself and play around and have no agenda and grow a little bit, you know, get a bit better at my keyboard skills and, you know, um, write things with a bit of a different uh, approach and uh, just trying to make music, you know, really. That makes me think of, um, there's an artist, uh, Carol Beauvais, who's one of my, favorite artist working right now and she she she's based here in new york a sculptor um and she she makes like really large-scale steel bent sculptures that are you know involve cranes and um just like works at a scale that is you know is huge but she uh she was talking about having taken a pottery class and like just like ceramics like throwing you know pots on the wheel and how it was it was really great because she didn't really know what she was doing, but also she, she, she mentioned like just the thrill of like, like making some, like making something without the lust for result um, was very interesting to her. And I thought that phrase, like the, the lust for results um, was really fascinating and like doing away with it and just sort of forgetting about it all altogether is like kind of refreshing and can kind of pr- make for like a reset of, of some kind. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's just a like non-strategic sense of just making things for yourself that, you know, it feels that the demons can like stop talking for a while of that. You know, you're whatever it is you're going to as a as a substitute for a meditative practice or you know, it's it's not easy. But once you're like in that mindset, I have to make a new record and it has to be released on this date and I have this tour you're locked in this whole labyrinth that you've created for yourself that precludes some becoming and precludes some sense of growth as a person. And I think that, uh, yeah, hopefully there's some ego shattering parts of this past year that can carry on in a positive way to, um, you know, how the world evolves and how time passes and how we all get on as humans in our like trajectory of our lives. Um, yeah. How about you, Ben? Have you have your demons stopped talking? Or are they 
uh, chattering still. I don't know, man. <clears throat> I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I'm certainly in like this, this place of, 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 uh, yeah, trying, trying to, to not think about where all this kind of ends up just working for the sake of working. Um, that said, I feel that there's a, that there's a kind of a, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I'm too working class to, to kind of sit around waiting for something to hit me. So I like my, my sort of way through this last year has just been to put my head down and just, and just hammer at it. Um, so I have, a, I have a lot of, I have a lot of material and a lot of things I'm kind of chipping away at, but they also feel like weirdly, um, you know, I watched this documentary um, about, you know, you remember that piece Christo did in uh, Santa Barbara, the, the big uh, white fence thing, this kind of big sale that he put through like California there, this yeah, huge like thing, the, but- Like through the valley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And and just how that like the the act itself like the actual physical manifestation of that was you know it existed for I don't know ten days or something before it was you know taken down it was like it like the actual physical object itself was really only only there for such a fleeting moment um, but how you know this this idea you know you know the plan the sketches the kind of the image had had just been in his head for so long and. You know, watching watching that, like I could, I really felt um, a great deal of sort of empathy towards his insane frustration and his like crazy temper, which is really kind of obvious in this in this documentary. Um, the frustration of not being able to have a realization of the thing, but just for it to all be sort of stuck in his head, and it feels a little. Uh, familiar to me right now like in in that the kind of music i'm writing and the kind of ideas i'm sort of trying to chip away at they don't they don't fit in this room you know they don't fit in this like headphone like children sleeping upstairs kind of space like it, they're not made for this scale um and so yeah that that for me right now is the is the battle is trying to kind of like <clears throat> hold like on one hand sort of hold the image like sort of crystalline in you know and and hold that in focus and not like allow it to degrade through you know through circumstance um but also kind of like i don't know try and try and take uh take a lesson from it you know like in like enjoy the the kind of gestational aspect of it um, however prolonged it may be, I don't know, man, it's, I'm not going to say it's fun. It, it hasn't been fun for me. How about you? Me? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just plugging along. I don't, I, I feel like I don't work at the, you know, the, the kind of scale or in the kind of public facing way that you guys do. So it's like, it's really hard for me to imagine the the absence of that um you know i mean the only thing like 
I, I once did a, um, a talk, uh, it was at the, at the Moog, Moog Fest, uh, with Michael Stipe. And it was, it was a, you know, who's obviously like a pretty big, you know, rock star. And he, um, it was in a big theater and there were like several, there were probably five or 600 people there. And when we walked out on stage, like there was this like wave of ovation, like basically just like people screaming and clapping and like that, like, like was like a physical sort of like palpable presence. And like, I had never experienced that. Like generally people, when I walk into a room, it's a, it's rare to get, you know, that kind of reaction. Um, uh, obviously. I, and, I feel so, that way, Andy. I, yeah. I would apply <laughs> if you came on stage on your own. Yeah. Well, that's nice to hear. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was incredible experience for me because it was just like, God, like what would, what must it be like to, not only experience that like even once, but like to have that become be a consistent part of your, you know, your life. Um, you know, I think that about DJs all the time too. It's like when, you know, the the handful of number of times where I've managed to be like one of those like cheesy guys in the back, you know, the back of the stage, like as a DJ is playing and it's just looking out over the crowd and like watching like, you know, thousands of people react like and dance and like lose their minds. Like, it's just like to imagine like be, like being in the presence of that all the time and not not only being in the presence but like actually being the cause of it i think um, that's like an f- interesting feedback loop that it like affects everybody i mean i remember being at like primavera sound in like the mid 2000s backstage and genesis Piorge was there playing with psychic tv and i remember they were really fixated on the press they were getting like some stupid you know generic milk toast uh, newspaper writing about their show. And it was for me quite surprising how it felt kind of superficial, like who cares what these people think, you know, and it was, you know, that affects even, you know, some of the great, maybe, maybe um, even more, maybe even more so, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's funny. Yeah. It's a feedback loop. And I think all that stuff I was talking about, like, you know, meditative forms of like, you know, dealing with ego and like the self and expectations are ultimately good, you know? Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I very much like look forward to, to seeing and hearing you guys perform again sometime in the world. And, um, yeah, like can't thank you enough for like joining in on this and like, thanks to unsound too, for just like, providing the context i mean for this talk but then also for like you know it's been like over a decade now of of the and like literally the list of like shows i remember you guys both playing like i just couldn't even finish it because it was just like too like too many um so here's hoping there there are more to come um yeah and like thanks a ton cheers to that thanks andy yeah thanks andy thanks tim Okay. Yeah. So, all right, so, guys. All right. See. See you
Thank you.